Ticks. They're a scourge on humanity. They're vectors of Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anaplasmosis, and other pathogens that can be debilitating and even deadly. And they're marvelously adept at going unnoticed when latching onto their hosts. Having been blessed by the devil, perhaps, with an anesthetic and inflammation-mediating saliva that allows the tick to bury its evil mouth parts into the flesh of its host without causing pain. I live in rural northwest Pennsylvania where ticks are abundant, and despite our best efforts to keep them off of our bodies, everyone in my family has been victimized by the little parasites. My son was even diagnosed with Lyme disease a few years back after a tick bite went unnoticed until the telltale bullseye rash associated with Lyme appeared on his inner thigh. I'm Matt Piller. This is the business of biotech, and I'm done ranting about how incredibly nasty ticks are, at least for now. In fact, my guest on today's show is going to instead flip the script and show us how the incredible function of nomacopan, the protein responsible for the inflammation mediating properties in tick saliva that lets their bites go undetected, might actually lead to promising anti-inflammatory therapeutics. That guest is Rochelle Jacques, president and CEO at Akari Therapeutics, and she's with me in the studio today. Rochelle, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. So happy to be here. Rochelle, you were turning red as I was expressing my disdain for ticks. You're saying, no, 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 no. We've, we're developing cool things from, from this evil tick saliva. We will definitely flip the script. You're right. Glad to hear it. All right. So we're going to get to that. We're going to, we're going to learn all about Akari and it's, uh, and it's ticks shortly, but first I want to get to know you a little bit better. Um, you know, looking at your resume, the first seven companies you worked for spanning the mid to late nineties into about 2019 include Ernst and Young, Deloitte and Touche, Dow Corning, Baxter International, Baxalta, Shire and Alexion. And if you look at those, you're looking at the first seven and they're like multi-billion dollar businesses back to back to back. Then you make the stark move into um, new and emerging with your first CEO role uh, with a decidedly small startup, Enzivant. So tell me about that. What's, uh, give me uh, the backstory on this drastic shift from moving from one, you know, fortune, whatever company to, uh, to the next and then on to Enzivant. Sure, sure. It, uh, it does look drastic. Uh, but I will, you know, say that uh, the CEO role has kind of always been in my ambitions, and I think primarily because of of the challenge uh, that is presented in these roles, um, absolutely. And uh, and I think Enzavant was particularly special on this front, where um, the stakes were very high and uh, the challenges were clear. Uh, you know well the regenerative medicine space. Uh, what we were doing there is um, trying to. Uh, you know, get a uh, novel one-time tissue-based therapy to um, through the FDA approval process and, and to, to children who have uh, a condition that is uniformly fatal. So um, stakes were high. Uh, the um, challenges were real. Of course, the CMC manufacturing challenges and regenerative medicine alone can, um, <laughs> can definitely keep you up at night. Yeah. Uh, but, but, the, but the great thing is, you know, it was one of those missions where uh, you know, the, the outcome of that could be uh, incredibly impactful. And I remember when I was looking at the opportunity to join Enzavant originally, and there was a moment when it became very clear to me that, that it, you know, that I, I wanted to, to lead that mission. And that was, um, I saw the Kaplan-Meier survival curve for the children who had been treated. And again, this was a uniformly fatal condition. 
And that survival curve for the kids who've been treated in the clinical studies was, uh, I'd say, nothing short of remarkable. I'd never seen anything like it. I still haven't seen anything like it since. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I knew I needed to do it. And, um, and what was great is, you know, having a, a, an excellent team that was uh, absolutely committed to the mission, failure wasn't an option. And so all of those things are, are the things that, you know, someone uh, really, uh, I think, can get up every morning and be, um, you know, energized and challenged by. Um, so it was great. It was perfect for me. And uh, definitely the, you know, really, um, I'd say maybe the best moment in my career, uh, you know, getting that through an FDA approval and knowing that we could we could yeah. uh, offer that to the children. So it was a pretty amazing experience. And so, yes, while it seems like a stark change, uh, it had all of the things that uh, that I would have hoped for. Yeah, and that's 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 awesome. I mean, you know, obviously, you're not the first uh, emerging biotech CEO that I've that I've talked to who has come out of you know the big the big side of the business. Um, yeah. But and it's always interesting. I, I like to ask the questions. Usually, I ask, you know, how how those big experiences uh, prepared you, um, and I, and I, and I want to know that. But I want to I want to flip it around, and I want to start with like the the more may, maybe the more uh, compelling question around like when you came when you when you realized that that stark difference when you came out of the the big uh, you know the, these big multi billion dollar companies and went to work for Enzapond. Um, what what surprised you? Caught you off guard. What were you maybe least prepared for? <laughs> least prepared for. It's a you know it's a it's a great question. I, I think that it's well known that resources are different. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of a you know an expectation. Even though when you know something intellectually and you experience it, it can be quite different. Um, and uh, you know facing those kind of trade off decisions and deciding where um, to put your priorities and where to to focus the resources because you know in a small company we never have everything we need or want. Uh, so that's, you know, that's, that was definitely a, a challenge. Uh, you know, probably for me, the bigger learning or the bigger, bigger kind of, you know, uh, aha moment is, is really in, in realizing that uh, there's a, there's a lot um, that we all bring with us from, from one experience to the next. And you can't really you know, lose yourself, even though it seems like a very different kind of a world. Okay, I'm I'm moving from a large biopharma into a small biotech. Um, you know, things should be different here, and maybe I need to be a bit different here. Uh, but in fact, you know, all of the experiences that lead up to to that, um, they're all valuable. And so, you know, for me, it's a bit of, you know, don't forget, um, you know, what you bring to the table, and uh, don't lose yourself as you kind of enter the new into the new realm. Um, and, and I, I've, I've experienced a bit of that in the past as well as, you know, even in large companies, I was out at calling the outposts from time to time mm-hmm. and you do, and you do have that kind of same, um, experience of as a very different environment can be a very different culture. I and mean, you're working in the headquarters versus going to Shanghai and running an emerging business, very different. Yeah. Uh, but you know, you have to bring those skills with you. And, uh, you know, I remember over the years, especially culturally, really trying to adjust myself and, and fit in and not be that American. And you realize, gosh, you know, that I'm kind of also not bringing some of the, some of the skills to the table that are actually necessary here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it, it's a very interesting experience and there's, there's definitely a lot of learning in those transitions. Yeah. It's fine. I like the way you put it, the, uh, you know, the intellectual, awareness versus the reality of the situation. What is it about the human brain? Is it, is it just like optimism and naivete that, 
you know, hey, I know what I'm getting into, but I don't really feel the pain until I'm into it, right? You know, I I, I do always believe um, whenever you're going in a new situation, you, you think you have it figured out what's different and you think you have it figured out, you know, well, um, I know what I'll learn in this next experience, but the fact is you really don't. <laughs> and it's, it's not until you get in there and, and you realize, oh, okay, so the, you know, the high level view of it is, oh, gee, we have uh, fewer uh, resources. But when you get into what does that mean and what kind of decisions need to be made and where do we need to be comfortable with taking risk and how do we think about, you know, uh, what's absolutely necessary now versus later, every single one of those daily decisions uh, are, are, are really shaped by that reality. And I think that's where we, we, we don't quite get it until we're in the moment and uh, we're, we're, you know, in the day to day. Uh, so you, you get it from a high level conceptual, but how it actually plays out day to day can be, can be, um, uh, I think eye opening. Yeah. Do you have any advice uh, real, real quick on this? Do you have any, any specific advice for like the thing to do in the moment when you're, when you're, when you're facing one of those realizations, right? So you like, you made this transition, like you, you know, like we've ascertained you go in, you go in horns down and ready to fight. And then you lift your head up one day and you're like, oh boy, I didn't anticipate this or I didn't realize it was going to be this stressful, whatever it might be, whether it's a resource, uh, you know, an HR, you know, the fact that you're working in such, uh, a, a, you know, a, a smaller um, team. Um, any, any advice for like the thing to do in that moment, whether it's stop, take a breath, uh, you know, take a break, take a walk. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, you know, yeah, I, I have two what is, what is conflicting things going on in my head right now. On one hand, I want to say, you know, go all in. If you're going to, if you're going to make a decision and that's a path you've decided to take, then take it and execute. <laughs> make sure that you execute um, fully, uh, you know, and, and that you've bought into that, to that path. Although while I'm saying that I have in my mind, gosh, there are a lot of times you have to be flexible. So, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, uh, and, and how do you do that? I don't know. As new information comes, I think we always have to be willing to say, um, is there a pivot here? Mm-hmm. And so while you're all in 100% uh, engaged in executing the, the thing that you've kind of set out as the priority, uh, I think it's really important that we still, especially in early stage companies, we still stay, stay open to those um, pieces of new information that might reshape things. Yep. Yeah. All right. Um, I, I could sit here and ask you philosophical questions about how you, uh, you know, h- how you deal with the daily nuances of being a biotech uh, leader, but we'll get back to it kind of real quick. Uh, <laughs> what were the circum? You, you joined earlier this year. What were the circumstances that led you there? Yeah. So I, I joined Akari uh, six months ago, and uh, but it's not my first time in the compliment space. So it is a you know bit like coming back, coming home. Uh, into compliment. I had been previously with you know, one of those companies you mentioned is a compliment uh, company uh, that really has um, established uh, the science around that and and the promise of compliment inhibition. And I loved it at that time. I think there's a, a ton of possibility in this space. So, you know, coming into Akari, what I really liked is, um, you know, we have a bi-specific uh, as our lead asset. And so not only are we looking at what can we do in terms of complement inhibition? But also, you know, we, we have another mechanism of action in our asset, which is uh, another uh, important uh, important um, modulator of uh, inflammation. So, 
uh, I really see that as a, as an opportunity to uh, potentially address uh, a number of disease areas that aren't currently being addressed uh, by by complement um, inhibition. So uh, I think it's a, an exciting uh, an exciting possibility there. Um, I think there's a pretty common belief that there's a lot to be done still in terms of reaching more patients uh, with this kind of uh, technology. And um, so it's it's great to be to be part of that and to be able to drive it with a bit of a different, um, you know, a different offering, a little uh, innovation on the complement only inhibitors. Yeah, good deal. Um, so I, you know, I, I went long on my uh, my rambling diatribe about how much I hate ticks and, and, and I want to, you know, I want to get into what makes Akari tick, and and I mean that <laughs> pun sincerely. the The pun is absolutely intended. Um, so so I want to start with the backstory on that. Your CSO uh, discovered this protein, um, as I understand it. So tell us about that. Tell us tell us the story and how the tick was identified as a source of a potentially therapeutic protein. Then we'll get into you know the science behind what Akari is doing with this discovery. But I, I kind of want to hear the origin story. Like how are we, the first time you and I talked, I'm like, I'm envisioning these so scientists in a wet lab, like trying to milk a tick, uh, you know, right. Like, what, what's going on there? How, that come how, how did this happen? Right. <laughs> yeah. So despite your disdain for ticks and, and I have to admit, you know, I'm in Massachusetts, so I think we probably share uh, some of the tick challenges, but this is a little bit different. So yeah, I could our, go um, on. I mean, I could we we could we could spend a lot of time talking about this, <clears throat> which yeah. we I, I don't want to do. I've already made made my uh, my sentiment known. But on, honestly, I'm I'm 47 years old, and when I was a child, this wasn't an issue. I didn't we didn't right. worry about ticks. We didn't we didn't spray down for ticks. Like it's it's seriously like it's uh you know I don't know if it's climate change or or, or what it is, but uh, you know areas of the country that back then were unaffected are entirely consumed at this point. So yeah, there's plenty, plenty of resource to make discoveries around what ticks can and can and can. There sure is. So we might as well make something good of it, right? There so my, yeah, as you mentioned, our, our chief scientific officer, Miles Nunn, is is the person who um, discovered the protein. And, you know, he'll say it's a, it's a bit of a serendipity, really. He was working in a lab where they were studying exactly what you're talking about, these tick-borne diseases, um, their transmission and so on. And there, be, you know, there was a, a kind of a subset in the lab that became interested in, uh, you know, really understanding how the ticks uh, modulate the host responses uh, to their to their own benefits. And uh, in, in your opening, you talked about some of these things, but, you know, how is it that when a tick feeds, you don't feel it? Mm-hmm. And you don't groom it away. And, uh, and, you know, there's, there's not the inflammation, there's not pain, there's not itch. Why is that? And so this team really wanted to understand that better. And, you know, when ticks feed, it's, it's actually their saliva that carries a number of proteins, actually thousands of proteins. And, uh, and something there uh, seemed to be responsible. So that team worked to try to isolate those proteins, which you can imagine was a pretty complex and manual process um, to you know, get get to the tick saliva and uh, and to and to extract the proteins and isolate those and study them. Uh, so but that's what what they went about uh, doing. And uh, as a result, they got to a point eventually where they had kind of a subset of proteins, just a, a handful, if you will, that they thought might be the ones. And uh, so they, you know, they they uh, were able to clone those and study uh, each one of them independently and found one 
that uh, turns out had a complement inhibition properties. It was a C5 complement inhibitor, essentially, uh, coming directly from the tick. And then remarkably, that same protein had leukotriene B4 inhibition uh, properties. So they found both properties in, in one protein that was you know, isolated from these thousands in these ticks. Um, but yeah, so it was it was fascinating. I, I I personally love the story because as a kid, you know, I was always watching these nature shows and fascinated by, I don't know, poison dart frogs and geckos and whatever else that, you know, will go on yeah. to some of these interesting you know, scientific discoveries that, you know, we end up using in, in our, uh, in, in our lives. But I think with this, with the tick story, as you has, have, uh, I would say foreshadowed, um, we definitely see some, some potential here to impact, impact, uh, lives. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's always fascinating. in a positive way. Sure. Yeah. In a positive way. That's right. Which is the, you know, I don't, I don't know if irony is the right word for it, but it makes it all the more exciting. You know, it's one thing, like you said, when you're a kid, if you're an inquisitive kid and interested at all in science, you like to think about the fact that, you know, that, that nature could, yeah. could contain the keys and the, and the substances and the molecules to, uh, you know, to, to, to improve health and, and cure disease, right? Like it's, it's intriguing. It's a, it's a beautiful mystery to think about, but you wouldn't necessarily go directly to, um, uh, tick saliva, uh, <laughs> but you're, you guys are working on this, on this protein. And so, so the discovery happens and I want to kind of work chronologically through how you go from discovery of, of this protein and its potential to, uh, you know, a situation where, you're actually building a, a clinical program and and hoping to you know move forward with a, a therapeutic uh, that this that you know d- d- derived from and built on this protein. Um, so, I guess where, where where would you start? Like for, from discovery, where where would you start? And sort of the explanation of how the company has moved to the point that's at today, where you know um, we're I'm, I'm assuming synthesizing uh, a version of of this protein. We're, we're no longer we're no, we're no longer like hanging the 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 ticks little mouth parts over a vial and squeezing, right? We're not we're not doing that anymore. We're no longer milking the ticks. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's such a visual, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's the, I'll tell you a little bit more about that because I do think it, it's interesting and it goes to the kind of tenacity that teams like this have to have to make you know major strides. That in fact, in the in the whole timeline for a biotech is really just a the beginning, uh, but you know, there's significant work that went on. Uh, you know, I described a little bit of uh, the discovery process, but you know, to bring us to what what we call now nemacapan. Uh, but what is um, you know interesting is the number of steps that were between then and now. And uh, you think about the first time that this team uh, tried to make a recombinant protein. Uh, from that. So they look for, um, uh, you know, they identified the, the genetic sequence and they um, worked to express that in a, in a cell culture. And it was, um, and it worked. So that was a huge step because if, if you think about you know, what were they doing before to try to isolate the protein, they had to do these dissection sessions and, uh, you know, perhaps up to 12 hour days, uh, maybe they would get 200 ticks done. Uh, they would uh, essentially, um, you know, take their uh, salivary glands, you know, remove them, uh, and then extract these proteins, and then of course have to purify them and, and isolate, uh, you know, what is now the macapan. 
So uh, that was a, an arduous and manual process, obviously not, um, not at all suitable for, for the kinds of things that we're, we're doing now, clinical trials and, and you know, certainly ambitions for, for commercialization. So they, they knew they had to try to make a recombinant version. They did that. Uh, the protein um, behaved as they expected, had uh, the, the same properties. So that was um, a huge success, but uh, they were expressing that in kind of a, an insect cell, um, uh, you know, kind of a cell bank approach, and it just didn't work. Um, I mean, it worked from a, it, it was producing the protein, but the yield was very, very, very low. Yeah. So they knew they could make a recombinant protein, but the yield wasn't anything close to what would be necessary for clinical studies. Um, and, and then from there, uh, as, as typical for many, uh, many folks in our space, you know, you take it step by step, trying to, uh, get yourself into a position where your manufacturing process is much more conventional. And, uh, so the, the, the company moved to a different, um, expression, cell expression and uh, microbial, microbial uh, environment. And that proved to be much uh, a much higher yield. So much closer to being something scalable. But even then, uh, we had some ways to go. And, uh, and, and if you look at something like Namakapan, I think one of the interesting things is, um, you know, if, if, you're, if you have some kind of a, a, a product that you think might be used in one small patient population, I think it can kind of get away with one certain cost structure. But the, the potential for Nemacapan, we believe, is much broader across many disease areas. And so getting that manufacturing right uh, has been really important to us. So, I, yeah. you know, I, I would say I could talk for, for hours about it, but I will tell you the bottom line is now it's pretty darn boring. The manufacturing, there's no milking of ticks is a, you know, very stereotypical biologics process where we're, you know, expressing the, the, the proteins and we are um, making drugs, drug substance with a, with a contract manufacturer. And uh, we have another partner for drug product. And it is, again, utterly boring and just how we like it. When you're striving to excel in a new arena, the best guides are the ones already doing it well. The business of biotech brings those voices forward to help new and emerging biopharmas turn their innovations like mRNA and cell and gene therapies into clinical realities. Tune in and subscribe for insights on hiring, regulatory, and other need-to-know topics for biopharma leaders. The podcast is brought to you in collaboration with Cytiva. Check out their resources at cytiva.com backslash emerging biotech. That's C-Y-T-I-V-A dot com backslash Emerging Biotech. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. Yeah, but at, at this point in the juncture, at this juncture in the business, boring is definitely good. Um, yes. We've, we've managed to have this conversation, uh, you know, uh, without the context of the indications that you're pursuing. So I know I'm bouncing around quite a bit here, but I want to, want to. I think it'd be helpful to, to have a conversation around um, the indications that, uh, that that you're pursuing and how that aligns with the manufacturing strategy. So let's let's talk about indications for a minute. What are you going after? Sure. So um, it is. I did mention that uh, you know we think there's broad uh, potential yeah. for Nemacapan, and and actually over the years the company's done a lot of work in looking at at different things and and running different uh, studies, exploring the possibilities. 
So we have all of that, but we, we've actually uh, made a bit of a shift to um, to focus and and focus uh, for Namakapan on a, a, a condition. I, I, I hesitate because it's a, it's a mouthful. Uh, you know, the acronym is HSCTTMA, but it's a hematopoietic stem cell transplant related thrombotic microangiopathy. So you think, and, and we're focused on kids, um, you know, pediatric with a severe version of this. And it's basically, you can think of a child that has like a stem cell transplant, bone marrow transplant, maybe because they have a underlying malignancy or other condition. And after that procedure, of course, you know, they're battling whatever is the underlying condition. After that procedure, they can actually have this thrombotic, thrombotic microangiopathy. And it's a, it's a side effect, if you will. But uh, unfortunately, it's one of these where um, in, in these kids uh, with a severe form, it's 80 percent, um, you know, mortality rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's there's no um, approved therapy today, and so that's really where we've decided uh, to focus our energies for nemacapan. Uh, so uh, it's rare. It's uh, you know perhaps you would call ultra rare. I don't think there's any particular definition for ultra rare, but it is a a, a small patient uh, population, but very high on that need. And uh, mm-hmm. so that's that's where we're focused and trying to move that forward as quickly as possible, knowing the the urgency that is, is required. Yeah. Um, and, and where is that in the, in the clinical continuum? We're in phase three. So we have a phase three, uh, study going on. We have it, um, it's actually in, in two parts. It's a, it's pretty interesting design. So we have two parts. So we're in the, what we call part A and, uh, we, uh, we do expect to have a, a readout in uh, the first half of, of next year around that uh, part A. And then we'll have a touch base with the regulators and move into part B, which is the final part of that study. Uh, mm-hmm. So that is, th- that's our lead program. We we do have, um, uh, we've also prioritized a, a preclinical program, but it's with a pacillated version of nemacapan. It's a, this is a long acting uh, nemacapan and that will be targeted to geographic atrophy. So, you know, in the eye, a different uh, mode, it's an intravitreal uh, injection. Uh, which is, you know, also very interesting. We think there we've got um, a, a very interesting target product profile in, in particular related to the LTB4 inhibition. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in, in So given the rare to ultra rare, rare state of the, the indication that you're you're pursuing with uh, your, your phase three candidate right now um, yeah. in Macapan, what... Um, like you mentioned scallop, what is, so given the, you know, rare, the rarity of the condition, what is, what does scallop look like in a situation like that for a business like this? Like, is it, uh, it, it's straightforward. Yes. So it's yeah. not a major challenge. It's very different from a, you know, large indication or, a, or, or for example, I talk about the preclinical, you know, Paslade and Macapan, that's a mass market, you know, geographic atrophy is a mass market, uh, yeah. kind of, a, a indication, very, very different. For uh, HSCTTMA, uh, it is you know we're all we're already well positioned to be able to to meet the needs at, at the scale that's necessary. And just to give you a, a, a perspective on a patient population, we're talking about one to two hundred patients a year uh, in the pediatrics in the U.S. That's just a, you know for a point of reference, but in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. We, we have, um, what we need in terms of batch size and, and, uh, and scale and, and shelf life. And I think 
you know, just to give you a, a flavor for um, scale change, yield change over the years. So if we look at our first uh, recombinant version uh, that is, you know, the version that, that basically the expression system that we use today compared to now, there the team has already achieved like a 12x increase in yield. So that already sounds really good, but I I, I always love the, the the fun fact of um, if you compare where we are today uh, to the way back in the days of uh, the origins in the lab, uh, one batch of nemacapan today contains the protein equivalent to about two hundred million ticks. Yeah! Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's coming a long way. No, and, and, that's coming a long way. I think the team well, should have some sort of an award for that, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> absolutely, uh, you know, and that brings up a good point. So I want to make sure I'm clear on this. Uh, no macopan. So the, the the proteins as found in in nature in the tick that is not no no macopan is like the the um no no macopan the is recombinant yeah common version of that. So we wouldn't call that no macopan in the tick. No, it, it probably has some very, very long sequence name that I'm not sure has a catchy. Uh, not nearly as catchy as. If long. I recall, it takes about four lines on a on a word yeah. document. Good, good to clarify. Um, so I want to I want to ask you a question about the strategy, the 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 clinical strategy and the um, the development strategy around those two indications that you mentioned. And I'm not going to attempt to pronounce the first one. That's super rare condition in yeah. uh, in pediatric. Um, and then there's geographic atrophy. You know, in any business outside of biopharma, <laughs> probably in any business outside of biopharma, if I'm uh, looking to develop a product that could have very specific appeal to a very small population versus that same product with a couple of twists that could have very massive appeal to a very large population. I'm probably going to chase the big one first. Um, what was this? What, you know, there's obviously, there's probably some obvious strategic thinking behind pursuing the, the, the rare opportunity first uh, around regulatory uh, clinical speed, that kind of thing. Uh, but, yeah. but I want your perspective on that. What, what was sort of the business strategy around uh, the prioritization of those indications? Yeah, so so you already hint at it a little bit, and and when we look at um, when there are opportunities, and this is you know Rochelle's perspective here. Uh, mm-hmm. So when there are opportunities, I, I think w- across uh, you know a number of potential indications, you know I like to think about what is the highest unmet need, and you know what is the fastest path to a potential you know filing to a potential approval. And uh, when we look at um, HSCT-TMA, we know that there's no approved therapy. We know there's high unmet need. So it, it's, you know, I think easy for us to select that as um, an, an obvious thing that will have benefit if we bring it to market. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's, you know, when you're working in rare diseases, I've been working in rare diseases for about a decade. It is... Um, I, I think what we come to understand is that everybody in the ecosystem is trying to move these programs forward. And so, you know, looking at regulators, obviously they have a role. Their role uh, includes making sure patients are safe and, and ensuring that, you know, we've got uh, controllable processes and, and all of these things that are incredibly important. But but those same regulators um 
also want to see these programs move forward if they are safe and efficacious. And so, you know, being able to work together with the regulators to find the best path forward, there is some flexibility in those pathways. And uh, and so I think that's important to keep in mind as we're, as we're looking at how to move with urgency. Um, yes, you could go after big indications. As a small company, though, you know, to take that on as your first bite at the apple doesn't um, necessarily, uh, you know, doesn't necessarily uh, work out. I think you know the investment that's necessary and the scale and the scope of you know forget about manufacturing, trying to reach all of the potential um, folks that you need to reach in the in the in the market and the, the medical folks and everybody. To um, you know, to bring that to fruition, it, it's a it's a giant undertaking. So um, you know, I think going uh, for what are the populations that need something most, where we can make the most impact, and then we can think later about whether or not we want to expand that. Um, now we have a little bit of a different situation and a little bit unique. You know, a lot of times you have this pipeline in a product kind of a situation. It is difficult if you've got, well, I could go, you know, and and um, serve patients with rare diseases, or I could go after large conditions. Where we're um, a, a little bit uh, different is that for our past late in Macapan, it is actually a different asset. Mm. So it, it's a bit easier for us to bifurcate the two and think about those businesses, you know, as, as think about those as separate businesses. Gotcha. So, um, but yeah, we want to move with speed. The HSCTTMA program is, uh, again, there's a, a clear unmet need and a reason, a reason to believe and a reason to, uh, you know, get up every morning and 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 drive that program forward. Yeah. We have other things that we can do in the rare disease space as well. And I think, you know, uh, as a small uh, company moving closer and closer to uh, hopefully uh, eventual commercialization, I uh, you know, you want to build a bit by bit and make sure that you've got the right capabilities in place and so on. And so we have that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are there any other, uh, I guess, pipe, uh, any other candidates coming on the, on the heels of these two indications that you discussed? Um, you know, a, a, any other kind of pup pipeline updates beyond those two that you can share? We are trying really hard to stay focused, which is incredibly yeah. difficult. It's it's hard to believe. Um, it's, yeah. It is it is such a good problem to have, but it is uh, it definitely requires discipline. So our you know our our um, objective right now is to stay focused on those. But if you were to look at um, you know a little bit of history around Akari, we've we've absolutely looked at other indications, and those are still potential in the future. We've mm-hmm. just kind of put those away so we could focus our resources on the on the lead program. And I think it's it's much easier once you have uh, you know if you can um, reach uh, a marketing authorization with the lead assets. It, it's much easier than to pivot to additional um, to additional uh, indications and investments in those. It's a little bit and it's no guarantee that it's de-risk, but it's a little bit of a different profile, and you can build on on that first um, on that first success. Yeah, very good. Um, yeah. What haven't I asked you, Rochelle? What haven't I asked you that I that I should have? What are, what, what are some big elements of the story that I, perhaps I'm missing? Gosh, why haven't you asked? Um, you know, I don't know. Can... I think I, I think you're you're pretty thorough. I think you know for us probably the big the big thing in in terms of 
The difference with nemacapan is this bispecific nature. And, you know, I think that's one piece that is, um, it, it is quite interesting because you, we've got uh, two mechanisms of action. One is a complement C5 inhibition, which is well known and understood. Mm-hmm. And the other is this leukotriene B4, which is part of the leukotriene pathway. LTB4 itself is a pro-inflammatory. And so when we think about you know, inhibiting both of those pathways, you know, what, what we're doing is we're trying to address inflammation from two different pathways, cell damage from two pathways. And, you know, a lot of that results in organ damage, sometimes, um, unfortunately death. And, uh, you know, we're working in the area of autoimmune and, and inflammatory diseases. These can be complex and there are a lot of interrelationships we know in, in, from a biological standpoint, um, in these systems. And so being able to address that inflammation and cell damage from the two pathways, we do believe is, is, um, promising. So yeah. that's, you know, that's for us something that, you know, we believe is different about nemacapan and is, is quite exciting in terms of, you know, hopefully being able to, um, you know, result in better outcomes for patients. Yeah. Um, and as, as you mentioned, you, you, you gave us the, the update on where you are clinically. And I understand, uh, I understand you, you recently, uh, extended your, your cash runway a bit too. So you put yourself on some pretty fu- sound financial footing to, to, to move forward. Yeah, we, we did, we did, uh, we, uh, just, uh, finished a, a financing and are very pleased, uh, because that really gets us into, uh, our next, um, milestone, which is this, um, uh, data readouts in the first half of 23. Mm-hmm. And, um, so we'll, we'll go from there, but that's, um, that's definitely exciting. It's a challenging time out there. And I say, you know, my, um, thoughts are with all of those who are, uh, working on, uh, working on finding the financing and the support they need for some pretty exciting programs in, in, in our industry, um, but is definitely challenging and uncertain. And every time we think it's going to get better, it <laughs> hasn't quite yeah hasn't quite achieved that yet. So we will, um, you know, I think we'll, we'll, uh, we'll remain, um, open to, you know, watching what's going on, but at least for Akari, we've got ourselves secured, uh, through, through data. So that's, um, that's a pretty exciting, uh, development. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations on that. You know, it's like, uh, thank you. It's always a big accomplishment, but it's a obviously a much bigger accomplishment in a very challenged capital um, market like we're seeing right now. Any, uh, I mean, obviously, I don't expect you to share your, you know, the silver bullet in your pitch deck that that made it work. But any advice for those who are kind of struggling through this right now? Because, to your point, it is different than it was four years ago. It's different than it was two years ago. Like we were talking before the show, two years ago, it was, oh my God, how am I going to make any money? How am I going to raise any money when I can't get on an airplane or stay in a hotel or go to a conference? And, uh, you know, Zoom saves the day. Everybody finds it relatively still at that point. Not, I don't want to say easy. It's never easy, but rel- relatively uh, available, right? Uh, capital. And then here we are two years later, coming off of that challenge, Faced by a whole a whole new one, high interest rates and very uh, discerning uh, investors. Um, I don't know. So, uh, you know, maybe your advice to maybe your advice to the folks who are out there on that trail right now is just the uh, fortitude. You know, fortitude. Stay, keep your <laughs> I heart say, in stick it. with it. Uh, you know, know your boundaries and um, you know, but be open uh, because uh, you know I think a lot of what's important is that we continue to have the financing to move the programs forward and hopefully are driving value by achieving those milestones in the future. But yeah, fortitude's a big part of it. 
Um, and, uh, you know, keep at it. Uh, it's, uh, I, I don't know, uh, everybody's in the same boat. And so I think, you know, just uh, being able to to secure what you need to get you to that next place is is pretty important. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, I have no... I have no magical solution. We are definitely not magical unicorns, but, um, but you know, I think uh, everybody is um, finding their own path. And, um, and, and it's interesting to watch the different, the different options you see more in, in terms of debt financing, royalty streams and all of these things. And I think, you know, people are, are being creative as they need to, to, right. to meet the times. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and like everyone always says, you know, da- data earns money. So we'll be we'll be keeping an eye on the on the data coming out of Akari Therapeutics. Um, it's an exciting it's an exciting, uh, mind boggling, beautiful uh, beautiful thing that 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 you're doing. The origin story is amazing. Um, I still hate techs. And by the way, I was going to mention that uh, if if clinical supply a- as you move towards ge- geographic atrophy. And you need to produce more. You need to, that that scallop actually becomes like a, a a big scallop. You need more clinical supply. Northwest Pennsylvania target target rich environment. If you need to go back to the original source, I'm just going to throw that out there. I know. Will you take not, me tick hunting? Is that I what you're saying? All you got to do is you, you take a you take a walk through the woods. You get home and you just pick them off your off your just clothes. Brush them off. I know it's a far less efficient means of, uh, of gathering the protein than, than recombinant uh, technology that Akari has developed. But if it comes to that target rich environment, I think my manufacturing leader is probably not going to take our basket of ticks, but I will keep my mind open. (laughs) Well, I, uh, thank you for the offer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it it stands, you you know, we can tick hunt in, in any event, whether they're useful or not. Um, but I, I thank you for coming on. Yeah. I thank you for coming on and sharing the story with us. It's great to catch up again. As I said, we'll, uh, we'll be watching the clinical progress and and hoping for the best because it's, it's always a more beautiful thing when, you know, it's when you can, when you can make, uh, make lemons, uh, make, make lemonade out of lemons, right. Make something good out of something that uh, is otherwise. That's right. (laughs) Otherwise, otherwise looked at as, uh, far from desirable. So. That's right. Well, we, we uh, look forward to sharing the progress. So uh, thank you. Thanks for uh, for the discussion today. It was great. Good to good to talk with you. And um, hopefully you'll like ticks just a little bit more uh, next year. Indeed. Thanks, Rochelle. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Matt. That's Akari Therapeutics President and CEO Rochelle Jacques, whose disdain for ticks is far lesser than mine. I'm Matt Piller, and this is the business of biotech. We're produced by Bioprocess Online in partnership with Cytiva. And if you visit Cytiva's Emerging Biotech Accelerator at cytiva.com backslash emerging biotech, I promise you won't be ticked off by what you find there. Visit us at bioprocessonline.com. And if you like what you're hearing here on the business of biotech, subscribe, share us with a colleague, leave us a review. And as always, thanks for listening.